You're listening to Attention, the audio journal for architecture. This is issue number five, the question of theory. This second piece addresses the question, what is architectural theory? It features contributions by Joseph Godlewski, Jake Matatyao, John May, Ginger Nolan, Brian Norwood, Ivan Santoyo Orozco, Meredith Tenhur, and Marika Trotter. This issue of attention addresses the increasingly pressing topic of what the fate and future of architectural theory is through the lens of questions and issues surrounding how we teach theory today. In this second piece, we address the question, what is architectural theory? We ask what this phrase architectural theory names for us, how architectural theory differs from theory per se, and what are its distinctive features that might remain the same despite changing historical epochs. We open with Joseph Godlewski and Meredith Tenhall, who approach the question, what is architectural theory, by identifying its distinctive features in multidisciplinarity, creativity, and openness. Joseph concentrates on architectural theory's ability to project and imagine possible worlds in a way that is not scientific. And Meredith argues that architecture has analytical tools of its own that are not dependent at all upon truth claims. First, Joseph Godlewski. Other fields are a bit more what I would call systematic or methodical about how they approach theory. That idea of putting something out there and then fairly rigorously testing it in order to prove something. I just don't think that's quite how it gets put forth in architecture, even in the most bombastic theories and manifestos, because those aren't being rigorously tested. They're just being rhetorically strongly put forth. I think, I think architectural theory shares many of the characteristics of theory in other disciplines. However, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily explain things. I think that's the key difference. It analyzes existing conditions, it adapts or, or responds uh, to changes in the environment, but it projects and it imagines alternative possibilities. So theory is not satisfied with the state of the world um, and presents a challenge to the status quo. It, it challenges tacit assumptions. Again, that might be something that is shared with, with, with other fields, but it's that kind of projective or really creative um, energy in architectural theory that I feel is, is, is much more indirect in, in, in other, other fields. Architectural theory is hardly scientific. Generally, it's not scientific at all. And then when we evoke architectural theory, you're not talking about testing TV cells. You're talking about this kind of projective, creative, speculative thinking that's really kind of other world making. Meredith Tenhall. And there are plenty of architectural theorists who obviously want to make truth claims, and there are reasons to make truth claims, particularly now in this um, political context. But I don't think that one needs to follow the methods of analytic philosophy in order to make truth claims. We have a number of other representational and analytic tools that come from architectural theory, which would allow us to do that. I guess I should say part of what's so wonderful about architectural theory to me is that it has uh, a kind of disciplinary uh, multiplicity, but also a kind of 
coherence, especially in the Western tradition, and it yields different claims about the world and different claims about what space is and what it does than other analytic traditions. Joseph Godlewski again. My sense is what's understood as architectural theory involves creative speculative models and metaphors to explain and forecast phenomena in the built environment. Theory operates the unstable border of the discipline, often borrowing from other fields to reimagine what architecture does or could do. So sometimes these breakthroughs get institutionalized and accepted as, as fact, but they, they should always be a kind of open question. There's not a sense in theory that you come to an answer. It's forever a kind of open-ended possibility and open for change. Theory also involves uh, contestation, interrogation, and should act, in my opinion, as a kind of self-critique of the discipline and its practices. So there's a self-reflexivity in it so that it identifies challenges to the discipline and then projects possible alternatives. What architectural theory does rather than what it is, it's more of a critical disposition or a kind of unease with the world. Michael Hayes has a good way of putting it. He, he describes it as an appetite. It's a sensibility or a disposition. Um, it's an appetite for modifying and expanding reality. And I think that's, that's about as good as a definition that you need, a kind of provisional definition to, to then produce or, or, or project other ambitions of organizing the world. In the following exchange, Brian, Marika, Ginger and Yvonne reflect on the ontological, instrumental, epistemological and political nature of architectural theory. Brian starts by acknowledging a distinction between architectural theory as part of modern professional training and architectural theory as a question of dwelling and being in the world. Marika sees architectural theory as a search for opportunities and potentials, while Ginger warns about the dangers of rhetoric, aesthetics and charisma within architectural education, and she defines architectural theory instead as a question of discourse and representation. Yvonne concludes by pointing out the problem of architectural theory's canon, which is apparently settled and clear, but should be expanded and challenged. First, Brian Norwood. I think of architectural theory in the terms of discoursing on a particular practice. Um, the problem, of course, with architecture becomes the issue of defining that activity. What does it mean to architect or what is architecture? You might say something like it's discoursing on the activity of designing buildings, but of course that's something that'll be challenged, especially by architecture schools that think of themselves as training people to do a lot more than get licensed and work in a professional office. So part of the problem there, I think, really does become whether architectural theory ties itself to particular schools or if it ties itself to the educational process. And in that case, I think when we talk about architectural theory, a lot of times we're talking about a theory of the profession or a theory of the sort of educational framework that leads one towards a profession. And then the challenge that uh, schools might pose is how do we broaden that or how do we make that move out into more fields? How do we understand design thinking as something more generally what we're training in? But I guess the other possibility would be to understand architectural theory as something linked to some deep ontological question of like dwelling, to 
talk about architectural theory is to theorize what it means to dwell in the world or theorize how we make place in the world. We have to acknowledge kind of carefully that there's a distinction here between these two, whether we choose to talk about dwelling or we choose to talk about architecture in a more distinct form of professional practice. It seems like one of the challenges here is to understand we're asking questions at, at different scales. Marika Trotter. It's important to remember that any proper ontology is fundamentally a connection between the kind of matter that we use to know and think, so in our heads, and all the other processes around us. So when we think about ontology, we're asking ourselves to find deep connections between our way of knowing inside of our heads and how we know the rest of the world works outside of our heads, understanding that there's a continuum there. The reason I bring that up is because theory in general is a way to mobilize thought such that it can be brought into possibilities of action. And now if I think about architectural theory in specific, that's how I would define it. I would say architectural theory is about finding little moments of opportunity in the world and in this case, in the architectural world, in existing projects, not projects that haven't been thought of yet, or moments of dissonance, or uh, moments where things are not aligning in the expected way, and that means there's something unexpected going on, or something possible going on, or maybe even something virtual going on, that would be the most exciting. And then locating those things and then arguing for them in a way that reveals and extends and reinforces their potential. So theory's role then is about turning very latent or very faint or partial trajectories or glimpses or fragments to account and providing some kind of an impetus or a blueprint or a way of assigning importance to things that might otherwise be overlooked. Architectural theory is a way of mining what we already have for potentials that are worthwhile. Um, arguing for those potentials in compelling language uh, that links back to deeper philosophical or ontological concerns, and then positions those things in, in a particular moment in culture in a way that makes their urgency or their potential apparent. Ginger Nolan. To me, the question of what is architectural theory is not an ontological question. It's a question about language, but largely, and forms of, forms of discourse and media and representation. Theory can be used to circumvent thought, really, as a way to kind of forestall certain and defer questions. And, and especially in architectural discourse, but this is also true sometimes in the humanities, it's used as an aesthetic prop, right? Uh, in a way that mystifies instead of clarifies. You know, the way that most kind of theory in that sense comes to students, it's not necessarily right through history and theory classes that they're getting an education in what we might call architectural theory. It's through like evening guest lecturers and exhibitions that, that are extracurricular. A certain, it might be, depending on the school, a minority of studio teachers, or it might be a majority of studio teachers who assign kind of poetic philosophical readings and who have their own kind of body of writings and terminologies that they use. And I think in those cases, like in those evening lectures, for example, charisma plays a huge role in how students are taught to think about architecture. And I think that charisma is dangerous. I mean... In some way, all, all pedagogues need a certain kind of charisma, but I think it can be used towards what I would call like magico-religious ends, basically. 
and Yvonne Santoya Orozco. Of course, you know, when we think about architectural theory, we seem to know almost what text we're talking about. We seem to know, you know, it seems, it seems to be framed around certain dominant positions, certain seminal books, certain canonical texts that we are all very familiar uh, with this kind of very, in a way, very kind of clear, apparently clear purpose of knowledge. I feel like a lot of scholars are beginning to, to mobilize and to resituate that which defines architectural theory in relation to current political and environmental questions. So while perhaps we, we know what architectural theory might be, I think what is interesting is where it's going, uh, kind of like the new, new, new knowledge, how the new knowledge is information um, to address questions like global inequality, um, like you know, longstanding questions of patriarchy, so I think this is all kind of very interesting and we might begin to see an entirely new way to, to speak about architectural theory, perhaps. In the next part of this piece, John May takes the long view and traces how architectural theory became what it is today, already broaching the question of how it is historical. He argues that it became what it is as a discursive, theoretical and philosophical practice. He sees the 1960s as the moment when architectural students were asked to speak and defend their design objects in the jury system, and that this was key to the development of a new style of reasoning that has since pervaded architectural education and architectural culture. John May. It's difficult for me to speak uh, to the history of architectural theory because, to be quite honest, it's not something I've studied in depth. The only thing I've spent any amount of time looking at is a transformation that I became curious about when I was a graduate student in which one was expected to argue routinely and continually uh, on behalf of one's design objects. And obviously I'm referring here to the jury system and the question of when and how exactly architectural education became a question of arguing in favor of one's objects before a jury of experts. And it struck me as rather remarkable that it's only during the post-war era in North America, and then obviously this, this model spread more globally, but it's really in the post-war era in North America that architectural pedagogy transitioned to a model that I've called in my own writing as juridical or legalistic, in which the question of evidence uh, arises. And, and we're talking here fundamentally about a, a change in the relationship between objects and discourse. And if one wants to really think about the impact that this pedagogical transition might have had, all one has to do is contrast it with 50 years earlier in the Beaux-Arts system with the closed door evaluation in which not only was the student not present, but certainly the student wasn't able to say anything. And therefore, another form of architectural representation, that is the drawings, uh, had to make the case for the object themselves. And so one of the things I was interested in is how that relationship changed over time and what impact that had on architectural theory. And I've tried to make the case, and I don't think it's one that one could substantiate or not, that I don't think it's coincidental that this blossoming of architectural theory in the 1960s coincided with the maturation of many people who were among that first generation who were forced to speak alongside their objects and were forced to defend them in front of juries. And so I think that that style of reasoning that we think of as architectural theory, post-war architectural theory, 
whether it was directly caused by the jury system, I think it's undeniable that it bore a certain particular relationship to the jury system and that it really radically reconfigured the relationship between discourse and objects in a sense that I don't think we've even really fully taken stock of in terms of um, how that's impacted architectural culture. I think in this in this massive reconfiguration of this really fundamental historical relationship between making and speaking or making and writing, um, what it does is it places that question. Oftentimes it doesn't do this consciously, it does it formulaically, but what it ought to do is place that question at the center of pedagogy and at the center of architectural thought, meaning what, if you're an architect in training or if you are teaching studio or you are teaching theory, what do you imagine is the relationship between words and objects or texts and objects or texts and images and objects? Uh, and this is a fundamental question that I think it's a meta-representational question because all of those are obviously forms of representation. I try to cultivate in my students they must begin to take on those meta-representational questions or they will simply allow the defensive nature of the textual or spoken discourse to surround their objects and prefigure their objects in many ways because it's such a powerful evaluative tool the jury system is. Um, that's the negative side. I think the positive side of it is it has injected into the making of things absolutely, uh, potentially, uh, an incredibly powerful and critical approach for looking at the world around architecture. That is to say, it has insisted that part of what it means to be an architect and part of what it means to teach architecture is to think discursively, theoretically, philosophically about the world in which architects are immersed and the world in which architects claim to be critically intervening. Joseph Godlewski adds to this some remarks about theory's role in mediating words and things, that architectural theory might be seen less as a set of rules and more as a kind of poetic. I think lastly, architectural theory deals with the, the transaction between words and, and buildings. I don't think that it's like something where there's a concept and then the form comes after the concept or that there's a kind of order to it. I think people like Lena Bobardi did a good job of dismantling the idea that theory, or architectural theory, is this kind of set of rules in place that it instructs you in how to practice. I think it's a much more complex transaction between theory and practice, those, those two things are kind of, of intertwined. Architecture, you know, like art or music, really kind of expresses things that are really hard to put into words. Like there, there are things that we don't quite have words for yet, or, or may never, never have words to express. And so theory operates in that weird, almost poetic space in the sense that it has to assign language to these kind of um, unrepresentable concepts or emotions or feelings. So theory in this sense tries to articulate what architecture is saying, how it's working, or, or, or how it aspires to, to perform. Uh, theoretical texts are varied attempts at putting these thoughts and ambitions into, into words. In the following exchange, Joseph Godlewski, Yvonne Santoya Orozco, and Meredith Tenhor explore the relationship between architectural theory and history. Joseph Godlewski again. Not to drag out a kind of false binary, but in some sense, that's how theory is different than, 
than history. Because I feel like history, like structures, has its kind of facts and, and you can kind of assemble them in a professional order. It just doesn't have that creative energy. That might be the, the difference between the two. Even though, just like theory and practice, I feel as though history and theory can't really be unbound, right? Um, I think it was Joan Hockman who was who said that theory without history is just like hubris and and history without theory is just like telling a story in order. This happened, then this happened, and this happened. Like that's how I approach history. I feel as though theory can't just be statements unbacked by any kind of uh, historical precedent of any kind. It, you have to pick up on trends. I feel like that's that's part of theory as well. Meredith Tenhall. Theory in architecture is always historical. I think in more recent contexts, in the US and France, which are two contexts that I know reasonably well, architectural theory tend to be relied upon to offer meaning and significance to practice, and also, as it did in Vitruvius's time, to confer value. So it helps you know, make certain practices seem to be working in alignment with others, um, it creates affinities and relationships between practice. And so, you know, then we get into Tiforian questions about the ideologies and the ethical practices which, which theory has served. Um, at the same time, I see architectural theory as something that's um, fairly essential to, to being an architect and being a curious person. Of course, when you're deeply involved in practice, you want to know why you're making what you're making. Um, and so architectural theory um, serves to answer questions about that, too. And Yvonne Santoya Orozco. There is something about the way we inhabit the world with spatialized power relations that is visible through architectural theory, perhaps more than in others because we exist, we, we are within that world, right? So I, I think is is definitely like architecture allows in being visible, in being part of our experience, it allows to kind of engage with the reading of this in a kind of more more revealing in many ways. But nevertheless, I think we cannot do this. We cannot establish a, a critical reading of the conditions in which we live without nevertheless understanding them also historically. And that perhaps begins to also speak about how architectural theory begins to also relate to history, begins to perhaps needs history, it needs to instrumentalize history, to interpret history, in order to, to have something to offer to other forms of theory, for example. Architectural theory requires history to properly interpret the present. Uh, we cannot, I think we cannot think about understanding the conditions that brought us into being without actually understanding how they emerge, how do they come into being. And I think this speaks about the difficulty on, on describing what is architectural theory that sometimes to describe architectural theory, we also need to think about architectural history. After looking at the relationship between architectural theory and architectural history, Joseph Godlewski, Mariah Katrota, and Jake Matatiao explore the relationship and the difference between architectural theory and criticism. Joseph and Mariah are in agreement with one another that the difference between architectural theory and criticism mainly concerns the differences between their different audiences. Jake sees the difference between the two as also temporal. Architectural theory, he argues, has a future orientation, whereas criticism is primarily retroactive in nature. 
Marijka points out, however, that architectural theory has an orientation towards the future that should not be seen as futurism or utopianism, but as a tool for change. First, Joseph Godlewski. Again, criticism to me is, it can often be f fairly brilliantly written, but it, but it comes down to like very minute value judgments and, and building specific. It, it's not that, that theories don't have an opinion. It's that they, they're, they're backed up with a much larger argument about culture at large and hopefully hist history is part of that as well. Whereas criticism, I don't feel as though has that same obligation. Um, criticism to me, it, it's a kind of shift in audience too, where I think it, it has a role to play. I mean, I think like people, particularly non-professionals should read architectural criticism as just a kind of way to kind of become familiar and critical about the, the built environment, but it doesn't it doesn't quite have the weight or the, the kind of agenda, really, that theories tend to have, like about projecting some sort of new world, right? Like that, that's just not part of criticism's deal. To me, that's just a kind of lighter form. It's a, it's a different audience. It's a shift in um, what, its, what its goals and aspirations are. Maybe it's broader, but more shallow. And I don't mean shallow in a negative sense. I just mean for expediency's sake, for concision. Marika Trotter architectural theory's role is, and this is what makes it different from criticism, architectural criticism, is um, to, to sort of pick out what Deleuze writing on Foucault called unbound points. So just little moments of latent possibility. It's about looking for new possibilities in what already exists, whereas say architectural criticism would be um, about defending uh, certain projects in their entirety in such a way as to make them appealing to a broader public Architectural theory is written to, and sometimes by, and definitely for architects. It's internal to the discipline, and it doesn't have to do with making larger uh, cultural arguments for why a specific thing might be important, um, you know, why the public should like it. So I would think that would be criticism. The way I would differentiate it from theory is that Criticism is specific, a specific work, a specific thinker, and it would be retroactive, right? Theory can be before that work, before the projects, like a kind of way of feeling your way forward. Joseph. Um, it does have a kind of future orientation. It's concerned with what, what is next on the horizon or what could be next. So there is a kind of temporal quality to it. And finally, Mariah here again. Architectural theory is about a way of generating newness from what little we have. Um, it's projective and it's speculative and it's risky. I don't know that it necessarily has to entail like futurism or utopian thinking. So I would say the, the problem with thinking about it in terms of like a predictive mode is that that by definition is limited to the realm of the possible. So what is, what is already being construed is thinkable or imaginable. Like what do we think the future is going to look like based on what the present is telling us? I don't think that's the role of theory. Um, I think the role of theory is to pick out moments that maybe run contra to the future that we expect is coming at us. I also don't think that future is necessarily utopian um, because I don't think it's about arguing for uh, impossible 
for distant, perfect futures. So it's, I think it's much less about a positivist projection of a future good and much more about kind of surfing or fishing for latent difference. Assuming that difference is a necessary condition, maybe not the only condition, but at least a necessary uh, condition for change. In all these thoughts and comments, we can see that architectural theory is characterized by proximity to humanist methods of rhetoric rather than to scientific methods of hypothesis, testing, and verification. Methods that some might hope would produce an instructive set of rules for practice. Theory's relation to rhetoric can be seen as linked most recently to the way architects have come to routinely discuss, debate, speak about, and judge their work. Yet theory is not merely about opinions. It is backed up by a larger and deeper tradition of debate and discipline. Another characteristic of architectural theory is its plurality and promiscuity. Its audience might be primarily architects, but architectural theory seems to be habitually oriented outwards. It learns from other forms of knowledge, brings them into relation with architecture, and it does so in order to catalyze change. Architectural theory frequently plunders other fields, and this only fuels the multiplicity of viewpoints that exist within architecture, and which leads to its internal conflicts and ideological divisions. It could be that this proximity between architectural theory and rhetoric and ideological division has a lot to do with the orientation of architecture to professional practice, oriented itself to commercial success in the marketplace. Architectural theory is created and used as a discourse that legitimates the value of practice. This is then mirrored in the way that architectural theory circulates within and around schools and studio culture run by practitioners. Just as architecture is animated by the search for new styles, we could say that so too is its intellectual apparatus. Before one concludes, however, that theory is purely then a mystifying ideological reflection of existing economic and social forces, one could also see architectural theory's non-scientific nature as partly also critical and resistant to those forces. Architectural theory, as many pointed out, shares with architectural practice a creative and future-oriented energy. It is as much about imagining worlds to come as giving a true account of the world that exists. As well as being rhetorical and ideological, architectural theory is also fictional, literary, and speculative. And it is by this that it seeks to challenge links between knowledge and power as much as to consolidate them. It has, for example, the potential to rethink issues of inequality, patriarchy, and environmental destruction. Again, we have seen how difficult it is to discuss ontological questions of what something is without discussing historical questions of how it came to be. Already, there has been significant discussion in this piece of the relationship between history and theory and the historicity of theory. In the next and third piece in this issue, we will tackle this head on and inquire into the historicality of architectural theory.
You've been listening to Attention, the audio journal for architecture. Issue 5, The Question of Theory. Issue 5 was written and directed by Joseph Bedford and was edited and produced by Ari Korati. Thanks to the Graham Foundation for generous support.